This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And here is a classic about one of my very favorite horror movies, The Vish, which we did a viewing with our listeners. Um, and it was super fun. I had such a good time. Um, a virtual viewing, because that's that's about where we are these days. But this one also came up a lot in the recent episode we did on elevated horror. If you haven't listened to that one yet, I would recommend going to listen to it because it was one of the first ones that got kind of slapped with that label and it sort of started the whole thing. And I do, I mean, I love this movie. It's in my rotation. Um, (laughs) It is like The Witch and it started so many memes. It showed up in What We Do in the Shadows, the show, like... I really, really enjoy it, but it had a huge impact. Although the actress did not love it. it didn't, she really thought she was going to be fired forever. <laughs> oh, no. That's what she said. That's she cr- said she thought she was so bad in it. Oh, she was fantastic. That she thought she would never get to act again. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, she did fantastic. Um, and clearly she was wrong because she's in all kinds Everything. of stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, now I want to, like, turn out the lights and watch this movie. We need to have another viewing party, Samantha. Oh, yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. All right, all right. Well, if we if there's something else we should have a viewing party on, listeners, let us know. Oh, it's about time. Yeah, I think it's about time. It's been about a year since we did this. <laughs> um, but please enjoy this classic episode. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mo Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. I have got to say, our past couple of episodes, both on here and on Saver, they've been a delightful research times for me because I got to do Princess Leia and the Simpsons food. And now we're talking about one of my favorites, the witch. Yes. Wait, you did the Simpsons food? Did you do the whole New Orleans trip? I did. Yes. Yes. I like that. It was pretty epic. Um, I mean, so several YouTube people's Recreated it. Recreated it. Binging with Babbage was my favorite, of course. Yeah. You sent me that. 52 restaurants. Uh, pretty impressive. It is. Even I, the maximizer, was humbled. Yeah. Humbled. Um, <laughs> but going on to the new fave. Yes. Right which is The Witch. And I know we've mentioned it several times where I've said, I can't. One day, I hope we get to talk about it. And we posted a poll for our Feminist Movie Friday. And Samantha had picked all these options, and she said, are there anything you want? And I said, well, you put the witch on there, you know. <laughs> and it won. I'm so glad it won. Um, also, it seems like we're just going to do all witch movies all the time, which is okay <laughs> with me, because the craft we did right before this, now this, we're definitely going to do Hocus Pocus. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, we have to do Witches of Eastwick. I think we need to do that as well. And I haven't seen witches, so, I mean. <gasps> right. Options abound. Wow. Yeah. So, maybe we're going to go in that direction. But we'll, we'll let all of you listeners weigh in on feature <laughs> film choices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I remember seeing this movie. I saw it a few times. One of the things I really love about it is I never really truly appreciated how terrifying it was to be a woman during the time of the Salem witch trials when everyone was so ready to condemn and kill you for something you couldn't prove otherwise. And even proving otherwise sometimes involved your death. And I knew it on an intellectual level. I knew that's scary and terrifying. But this was a really visceral, emotional level of experiencing that. And the parallels between today and how we still don't believe women, they were impossible to miss, especially in service to structures like religion that were and are. uh, They were largely created by men and are still largely upheld by men. That is changing, but that legacy is still there. And also just smaller things like not knowing why things were happening, that oppressive dark of this whole movie just weighing on you of, well, the crops aren't, they're all dying. Why? We can't find any food. Why? What is going on here? Um, and it's a, it's a paranoid and claustrophobic film, and it constantly makes you doubt yourself and what is going on. Is this something of, they are essentially, I guess this is a really good pick for quarantine, essentially going through isolation, and what that entails, or is there really something supernatural going on? And if so, to what degree? Um, so I love it. <laughs> Before we get into it much further, 
trigger warning, I guess, for uh, violence. I, we're not going to talk about too much of that stuff in depth, but the film itself, um, I can see how it would be triggering in, in terms of that. Um, some gruesomeness. And spoilers. So this came out in 2015, um, but that's still, what it's the window is 10 years. You're not supposed to spoil anything. So if you missed the watch party, if you do want to see it, stop it here and we'll be here when you get back and you can right. hear our thoughts. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the watch party, thanks for everyone who joined us. Uh, yes. And we want to keep trying to do them, but just an FYI, so we're able to do this through the Netflix party app. Um, so if it's not on Netflix, we don't, we're not able to do it because there was definitely a good suggestion of Now and Then, and I love that movie. I love, love, love that movie, mm-hmm. but it's not on Netflix. And there's so many other movies I was like trying to find Heather's so we could do that one, but it's not on Netflix either. And oh, we want to keep... Was. No, I think they took it off. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but yeah, we want to keep trying to do the parties because we know everyone needs some entertainment and it was just, it's just so much fun to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you know a better way, let us know. See, I love Scener and I love 2-7 because right. 2-7, uh, you can do pretty much every streaming service. But um, I I feel like the the benefit of Netflix party when it comes to this sort of thing is you don't have to be friends and it's easier to join and it, the technical difficulty level is less because those two I mentioned are video chat. They don't have to be. Right. But I've just found that when you're in a small group of people, that's really manageable. Um, right. But if you get more and more and people join at different times, uh, it's just easier to do right. something like Netflix party. But and we yeah. want everyone to join. Yes, yes. And it, it's... Uh, whenever you can, however you can. But yeah, absolutely. If someone has a suggestion for other ways we could do that, we are all ears. Um, but yes, today we are talking about the 2015 film, The Witch, a New England folktale, also commonly known as The Witch. It was written and directed by Robert Eggers. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy as Thomason, Ralph Innocent as the father William, Kate Dickey as Catherine, the mother, and Harvey Scrimshaw as the son Caleb. Those are our primary characters here. Eggers arrived at the very accurate time, appropriate dialogue by pouring through writings. Some of it's just taken from writings he found from that period. And so one of my favorites, as people know, follow us on social media, Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Wouldst thou like the taste of butter? <laughs> That's so good. Come on. Um, it is. I use that quote all the time. Lauren, my co-host over at Saber, she has a shirt with Black Phillip that has that quote. I of love that. Does. Oh, of, of course, course she does. does. Um, so the plot, we're going to go ahead and jump in there. Uh, it follows a Puritan family, Father William, pregnant mother Catherine Thomason, the teenage daughter, Caleb, the pubescent son, young twins Mercy and Jonas, and not-yet-born Samuel. They recently immigrated from England to New England in the 1630s. The movie opens with them banned from their town because of their father's overzealous beliefs, his, quote, sin of prideful conceit, and journey out into the wild to build a home of their own, isolated from others on the edge of the woods, the very ominous woods, obviously. Yes. Um, Thomason is the only one outwardly hesitant, and she looks back at their town as they leave. I, okay, so I just got to step in here. I no, love, yeah, yeah. love, love the building choir when they see the tree line. It's like this discordant, oh, 
I mean, as you said, it's like the darkness follows them and that is the sound. Yes, and it's as they're praying and they're, you, they've arrived and just the, oof, that ominous foreboding. I love it. It is. And of course, yeah. something supernatural is going on. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, the movie does not waste any time confirming that. And within the first 10 minutes, uh, while Thomason is playing peekaboo with infant Samuel, and he disappears while she has her eyes covered. Cut to an old weathered naked woman who castrates the baby, kills him, and then grinds down the remains to a paste that she rubs on her skin, allowing her to fly. Yes, I remember this very vividly because you go into this movie and you're thinking, maybe there isn't a witch. And then in the first 10 minutes, you're like, oh, there's a witch and she just killed that baby. (laughs) It was really sad. Yeah, yeah. So Catherine, the mother, is clearly devastated, believing that Samuel is in hell since they hadn't even baptized him yet. She spends her time grieving and she blames Thomason for the baby's disappearance and presumed death. William tries to maintain that wolves were behind the disappearance. So the farm seems to be cursed. Nothing will grow and what does is bad. They can't seem to forage any food or find any game to hunt. Blood instead of milk comes from their livestock. Uh, While out on a hunt, Caleb voices to William his fear that Samuel is in hell and that the same may happen to him. Their hunt, like a majority of their hunts, was unsuccessful. William sustains a minor injury when attempting to shoot a hare, one of the first animals they've seen in the woods since they arrived. And the way it's shot, there's something sort of off about this hare. Um, He confesses to Caleb that he traded Catherine's cup for supplies. Uh, William does, not the hare, doesn't speak. Uh, Catherine blames Thomason for her missing cup. Caleb tries to step in and uh, de-escalate the situation, saying that his father and he went into the forest to find apples, but that there were none. That night, the children overhear their parents planning to send Thomason away to serve another family. They also hear their fears that the whole family will starve. Right. And then... Caleb wakes early in the morning, determined to prevent this, to go check some traps. And in an earlier scene, we learn that Caleb is struggling with feelings of sexual attraction to his sister's body. This is also when the twins accuse Thomason of being a witch. Which, by the way, those twins... So annoying. So creepy. Yeah. Um, That their black goat, Philip, talks to them and told them this. Which, by the way, hello... Big, huge sign. (laughs) I know, but I, I thought they were just being annoying. I never thought, well... And all my thought was, they're witches. Um, (laughs) Thomason, annoyed with the adamantly annoying twins, scares them, claiming that that she is that witch, and they better mind her and keep quiet about this or else. And at first, it's sort of a joke. But as the scene progresses, we see that Thomason feels power in scaring them. Yeah, and she does definitely scare them. (laughs) Yes. Thomason coerces Caleb into allowing her to accompany him into the wood. They once again see the hare and their dog and Caleb chase after it, while Thomason is rendered unconscious after she's bucked from the horse. Caleb finds that their dog has been ripped open near the home of a beautiful woman in red, or it's sort of like a, I don't know, hut, cave thing. Entranced, he kisses her, and as They're kissing, her arm transforms into something gnarled and old, and she yanks him away out of frame. Always reminds me of uh, Game of Thrones. Right. Also, why the dog? Just leave the dog alone. Just leave the dog alone. 
So unable to find Caleb, Thomason returns home and Catherine's rage explodes, which by the way, Katie, the woman who plays his character, is always seemingly this character. Yeah. Have you noticed this? <laughs> and she's I mean, really she's good at it. She's got a severe look for sure. She's, she's really good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got talent. Uh, blaming Thomason for Caleb's disappearance and Samuel. So William confesses he was the one that took Catherine's cup. So one thing unfolds to another. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, Caleb returns home that night in the rain, naked and ill. Uh, Thomason is the one that finds him outside. He says, quote, her nether parts, she sends them upon me, blaming Thomason for his state. And a sort of exorcism follows, and it doesn't go well. A bloody red apple emerges from his lips, and he orgasmically and feverishly declares his love for Christ. The family prays together for Caleb, except for Mercy and Jonas, who claim that they can't say their prayers, they can't remember them. Caleb raises off the ground, his body positioned like Jesus's crucifixion, and he dies. Catherine becomes convinced that witchcraft is behind his death and the fact that the twins can't remember their prayers. The twins blame Thomason for claiming her to be the witch. And again, that earlier scene, she very much scared them into thinking that she might be, but also they were annoying and might have thrown her under the bus anyway. Um, Hurt and angry, Thomason accuses the twins, telling her parents that they talk to their goat, Black Philip, so they are the witches. William boards all three of the children up into into their goat house, despite Thomason's desperate pleas. She overhears her father that night have a breakdown, apologizing to God for his pride that led him astray from his true religious service. And surprise, things get worse. What? Uh, Later that night, strange noises awaken the children, and they see an old woman drinking milk from the goats. Catherine sees Caleb holding a baby Samuel, and she takes the baby to breastfeed him. But in reality, a crow pecks at her chest, and her breast is bleeding. It is a very disturbing scene. It is so bad. When William goes out to check on the children in the morning, he finds the goat house is destroyed, the animals are dismembered, the twins are absent, and Thomason is unconscious at the center of this destroyed structure with literal blood on her hands. It's clear he thinks Thomason is behind it, but before he can do anything, the goat, Black Philip, brutally kills him as Thomason screams. Catherine arrives infuriated and blames Thomason for all of the bad things that have happened, accusing her of seducing William and Caleb. She attacks Thomason, strangling her, and out of self-defense, Thomason kills her with a blade, stopping the entire time, saying that she loves her, that she's sorry. So her entire family now dead and prospects are grim. No horse, no food, nothing to trade. She numbly waits in the stable and calls on Black Philip to speak with her. Uh, he appears and asks if she wants to live deliciously. Yes. And transforms into the figure of a tall man dressed all in black, a.k.a. Satan. Who knew? Uh-huh. Uh, he promises her that she can and that she can taste butter if she removes her shift and signs her name in his book. So she does and follows him naked into the woods to a coven of witches around a fire, levitating against the backdrop of a full moon. Uh, Thomason begins to levitate herself and begins to laugh uncontrollably as she goes higher and higher. End of movie. I can only imagine if you had no idea, if you're a listener and you've never heard of this movie, didn't watch it, and we're like, I don't really care to watch it, I'll just listen to them. That's quite the, the plot. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, 
I can see how it would be strange to just hear it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. But that's pretty much what happens. We do want to unpack some themes. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of themes when it comes to women and feminism we could talk about in this movie. That's one of the reasons I kept bringing it up. Um, and perhaps one of the big ones is sexuality. There's this theme of Thomason coming into her womanhood throughout and how other people view that as threatening and even dangerous. So you, like we said, you have the mom who is jealous of Thomason's youth and desirability, who blames her for what she perceives as their attraction to Thomason. You have Caleb feeling ashamed of his feelings of attraction. Um, you've got some moments of weirdness between Thomason and her father. And that theme of how dangerous we see the sexuality of young women is present throughout. We, we talk about that all the time. We see that in our media all the time. And it's something we're going to come back to this in a minute, but she is constantly blamed for. And it's one of the reasons that people were so, her family was so ready to think, oh, she is the witch. It is her fault that I feel this way. Right. And of course, with it being a period piece, <laughs> yeah. religion is very much part of the story and the motivations of the characters stem from the religion as well as their fear of it. Uh, William's actions and pride around religion gets him banished from their town. Catherine's fear leads her to distrust her daughter, Thomason, which we talked about. Uh, Caleb's fear about going to hell and his giving in to his sexual desire leads to his death. And then Thomason's struggling against the constraints of a religion so ready to punish and obviously blame her. Yeah, and I I read a really interesting article that delved into what it, their religion specifically would have meant at this time for women. And, you know, you already have the constraints if you can't own property and really you don't have that much agency, but the religion amplified that and specifically like this religion here. Um, and I tried to, I'm a big, this won't surprise anyone I, I bet. But I love like reading into symbols and what does this mean? And I noticed that there's seven people in their family. So I was trying to go through which of the seven deadly sins are each of them. I don't really think that's there. I think I was stretching. But <laughs> you definitely see pride and lust and shame, just boatloads of shame at play. And if you if you go back to Thomason's confession near the beginning, when she's praying and she's saying, I've broken all the commandments and thought that she's played on the Sabbath of disobedience, that she's been neglectful of her prayer, she's followed her own desires, that she knows she deserves to burn in hell, but asks for mercy. She, she seems to be the only one that realizes her sins. She's self-aware of these things, but she longs for something more. Uh, she does not see drudgery as a moral good, which was something that was a common belief at the time. And of course, throughout most of the movie, Thomason attempts to prove she is not a witch because yes, 
witchcraft. That is the main point of this, right? And and whether or not they are controlling the bad things that are happening to them. Um, And though she does see the potential power in it when trying to scare the twins, she is suspected because of her sexuality, surprise, surprise, and transition into womanhood. And once her family is gone, she accepts the label. So it's kind of that same idea of the Salem witch trials that we were talking about earlier. Um, A lot of the fear of women and their sexuality and or power. Mm-hmm. And then the witch manifests as both the Madonna and the whore, the crone and the sexy young woman again. Yeah, yeah. And, and as I said at the top, I think uh, our pop culture has definitely normalized witches. And uh, as I said, we're probably going to just do all witch content for this forever. Um, so it's easy, or at least it was easy for me to forget People were legitimately afraid of witches. Right. <laughs> like they really did think that this was a thing. And that's terrifying. And it's terrifying to be on the other end, to be accused and not be able to do just because you're you're a young woman who's coming into her sexuality. So I love I really did appreciate that this movie was able to do that in a way that I could connect to, even in their old timey. Puritan dialogue. And yeah, during the the Salem witch trials, any woman on the fringes of society and even those that weren't uh, were being labeled a witch. And there was a danger around that, obviously. But we can draw parallels from that to feminism, which we will in a little bit. Uh, But we wanted to also touch on this whole idea of not believing women because that is so, so big in this movie, so prominent. Thomason is doubted throughout the film, no matter what she says or does. They are all so ready to blame her for things out of her control, including her sexuality. And because we have seen this in our world, this is a fear that a lot of us can connect to, uh, especially women. It makes it easier for us to be unsure of whether something is actually supernatural in, in terms of this movie or if it's madness or both. Not being believed is terrifying. So is admitting the devil is real. Both are scary. (laughs) Right. Very scary. Um, There's also the layer of, yes, there are witches, but they became witches because they had no other choice. They were pushed into that and they were told that we're going to be so, yeah, let's lean into this. Um, If they wanted to live, to taste freedom or not die from accusations that were untrue at the time. So, yeah, why not? Go for the power. Well, it's one of those things where everyone kept telling her she was a witch and she was trying so hard to... Prove that she wasn't, even though, like, in her confession, it's clear that she wants something more than the very narrow existence she's been told is moral. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, eventually, at what point do you say, okay, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, and we already know if Black Philip is the goat slash Satan who has kind of started this dialogue and thought process of, you're a witch, and he implanted that into the little twins, creepy little twins. Yeah. Almost as to breathe it to life. Yeah, well, worked. It did. <laughs> uh, Thomason is the only one not to be directly targeted by the witch or Satan in one form or another. She instead is targeted by the mistrust of her family. She is blamed for Caleb paying her sexual attention. The movie also is about a father's pride and failing. More accurately, that I think they should be blaming him. <laughs> Uh, who could be read as a stand-in for the patriarchy? 
he was the one that got them kicked out of their village. He sold the cup. He chose where to put their new home. He couldn't secure them food. He was too proud. Eventually, he came to the realization, oh, we need, we need help. But for a long time, he resisted. He was too proud to go back to the village or admit he was wrong. Um, all he does is chop wood. And Black Philip gores him with that in the backdrop as if to say, what, I, there are these powers, you weak, weak mortal. <laughs> you thought you were doing something, but nope. Um, and yeah, as we said, Thomason wanted to stay in their town, but she had no agency. She was treated like property. She, she's even kind of framed that way as they leave, where she's in the back of the wagon with all the their luggage. She watches their town leave, <laughs> go she away. She knows it's bad. Um, and speaking of the patriarchy and feminism as a theme, the creator Robert Eggers told USA Today, quote, in all of my trying to stand back and be objective about themes, feminism rises to the top. And the spokesperson for the Satanic Temple specifically called it a tale of female rebellion and embracing being an outsider. So the temple partnered with A24, the distributing company, for this movie when it was released for some screening and talks, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, they are less aligned with Satan and more aligned with things like gay and reproductive rights, which is cool. Um, the leader of the temple, Jex Blackmore, said, as Satanists, we are ever mindful of the plight of women and outsiders throughout the history who suffered under the hammer of the theocracy and yet fought to empower themselves. And while the patriarchy makes switches of only the most social vulnerable members of society, Edgar's film refuses to construct a victim narrative. Instead, it features a declaration of feminine independence. Yeah, there are a lot of good quotes about this movie. And we're going to end on a spectacular one, I've got to say. Before we get into more of the patriarchy and feminism, we're going to get into one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So another quote we wanted to include is from Diane Cohen at Marie Claire. The real horror in Robert Eggers' new film, The Witch, a New England folktale, isn't satanic goats, baby abduction, or even nefarious witches in the woods. It's the limited and punishing road to womanhood. And yeah, at the time, your path as a woman was wife and mother, no job probably, often a marriage of convenience, as Thomason's parents were discussing for her. According to the religion that they followed, even your fate in the afterlife was out of your hands. So for a woman, not following the rules, pursuing autonomy meant literally going to hell. In the puritanical interpretation, women were weaker than men inherently and easier to corrupt. They were dependent on men to receive God's directives. It kind of goes back to that whole Adam and Eve thing. Um, So they were easier to fall to sin. Of course. (laughs) I mean, definitely. I mean, Eve. Eve started it all. She she did. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually going to talk about that in our book club one. Or we already did talk about that in a book club one. So I'm excited <laughs> for, for everyone to hear that. <laughs> but I did want to talk about Black Phillip. Because for me, this was such a great reveal. I honestly, I think the first time I saw it, I thought they were just being annoying. Or that it was another weird thing the witch was doing to mess with their heads. Uh, this was like, not only are there witches messing with you, but the devil himself is messing with you. 
And the fact that he's a man and Thomason has to sign his book, not only to, quote, live deliciously, but also as a last resort, to me says that even a taste of freedom for women still functions within this patriarchal structure. It is the first choice she gets to make on her own, but it really it's not that much of a choice. Right. She's cornered into it. Um, and some interpret this as Satan corrupting Thomason. If you look at the color palette in the final scene, it's very different from the rest of the film, which for the most part have been drab and neutral. Yeah, you definitely have that ominous feel to it. And then in the end, Thomason is bathed in flames like hell and her hair wild and down and naked and just floating. <laughs> and covered and not covered with blood. There's spatters of blood. Spatters. Um, I wonder, you know, my horror movie theory, Samantha, it all comes back to the male fear of menstruation. Menstruation. So I wonder I if that's that. supposed to evoke <laughs> her womanhood. Um, but also, yeah, if you compare the first time you see Thomason to the last time you do, she's like completely covered. She She's sort of all drab and dreary and, uh, you know, her face is almost angelic. And then mm-hmm. the last time you see her, very much the opposite. Very, very different. So here's the quote we promised. I love this. Founder and writer of the Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies, Kirla Janice, called the ending a huge feminist kick in the balls. <laughs> love it. <laughs> love it. And I do really appreciate um, that there is a lot of feminist discussion and disagreement about how feminist it actually is. Uh, I love those kinds of things. And I'm also glad because, as you probably know, Samantha, someone who works on a show like this, sometimes I think, Am I reading too much into this? But right. I'm I'm glad a lot of people had some some thoughts about feminism and this movie. Right. Yes. As they should. I I, I think so. I yes. definitely think so. So yeah, that's what we have to say about the witch for today. We do have some listener mail for you for this one. Yes. Um, so Grace wrote. I'm a longtime fan of the Sminty podcast and just finished listening to your recent episode on hearing and hearing loss. In the fall, I'll hopefully be starting my senior year of college studying audio engineering. The prevalent gender gap in the audio and music industries has been constantly seeking out new ways to start constructive conversations, including media, to suggest to friends to get the ball rolling. Looking forward to sharing this episode and to the conversations that follow. Inspired by the call to share media that might appeal to the Sminty audience, I wanted to share an album that my band Grace Kelly released in February, and that's G-R-A-C-E-K-E-L-L-I-E with no space in between. Grace Kelly, made up of two female audio engineers, is all about girl-powered sound and music through a feminist lens. Our debut album, Like the Princess, is available for streaming everywhere, and I think the Sminty audience would be most into Tisha Drink Your Coffee Black and Not Scared of You, both of which are songs that expose and attempt to dismantle patriarchal expectations of women. Yay! I loved it. I listened to it. Uh, it was great. Great work, mm-hmm. Grace. Um, go check it out, listeners. Uh, it is available pretty much wherever music is streaming. I so. think we're going to have to find a new playlist. Ah, oh, that's right. We should. Oh, my gosh. That would be great mm-hmm. if listeners mm-hmm. sent in the music or some stuff they created. We could make a playlist. Yes. I love it. So please keep those things coming in. We, we really do appreciate it. Keep those suggestions for what our next movie should be, our next watch party, our next book club. And you can send those to our email, which is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. 
Thanks, Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Stefan Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 